listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. What is your purpose? Why are you here and what are you supposed to do? Researchers say that most people ask that question, including Christians, and they answer it in all kinds of ways. Primarily, though, with still a question mark over their heads, because we walk around and we live with a sense of not being fulfilled. If people don't feel fulfilled, and so then we don't have uh, an answer to that question. Can you relate to that? Some of this is rhetorical, just as an introduction. Some of it is also a very real question. Can you relate to that? That's the question that was in my mind when I dropped out of college. Yeah. I think I have the answer now. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> I think it's becoming more and more important for Christians to be able to have an answer to the question. Not only an answer, but what I would say would be the answer. To, to ask, what is your purpose? Why are you here? And what are you called to do? I could ask it another way. What does the Bible say your purpose is? What has God called you to do? And why did he leave you here? becoming more and more important to be able to answer that question in a post-Christian society. Just before COVID, the Barna Group did some research on uh, what would now become the top 100 post-Christian cities in America. And what they basically did was they looked at the changing religious makeup of American cities and the results came in and to qualify as a post-Christian individual, not just a city, but like they talk to people, you had to meet nine or more of the following factors. 16 things, you had to meet nine of them. And if you met 13 or more, then you were highly post-Christian. Here they are. I do not believe in God. I identify as atheist or agnostic. I disagree that faith is important in my life. I have not prayed to God. I have never made a commitment to Jesus. I disagree that the Bible is accurate. I have not donated money to a church in the last year. I have not attended a Christian church in the last six months. I agree that Jesus committed sins. I do not feel a responsibility to share my faith or share a faith. I have not read the Bible. I've not volunteered at church. I've not attended Sunday school. I've not attended a religious small group. Not read the Bible in the last week. And I disagree that the Bible's even accurate. And last but not least, I am not born again. If a person would say nine out of those 16 things was true of them, then that would put you in the category of being post-Christian, right? That 
we are no longer in a society where everything is just kind of assumed from a place of Christianity. That there are people in the younger generations, especially now, that actually don't have any framework of grandma took me to church. I grew up around that. There was Catholic school that I went to, so on and so forth. The prayer, nobody's praying in schools anymore, right? And so here's a few of the top 50. You probably can guess some of them. Number 54 was Portland. Number 49, Orlando. Number 39, Las Vegas. San Diego came in at 38. Los Angeles was city number 30. Washington, D.C., 29. New York, New York is number 20. And San Francisco is at number 17. But what struck me was that making the top 10 list where 54% of people said, I self-identify as post-Christian was Santa Barbara. Mm. Wow. Wow. Huh? What was Santa Barbara? 54% of the people there self-identify as post-Christian. And it's in the top 10, not the top number one. It was number nine on the list. But it's just so striking that topping the list is, is our community. I actually want to just push back a little bit if any of us would have said, oh, man, look at them. <laughs> no, this is us. This is our community. Post-Christian. And when I ask those questions about your purpose, it's because the world has changed. But your purpose has not. The world has absolutely changed. But our purpose as Christians has not. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verses 3 to 11. I'll take a volunteer if somebody has... Uh, it in uh, English Standard Version, right? One of the books that we're following along with. Just read right there. Verses 3 through 11. If you want to, you can actually start at verse number 1. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, quote, you, have, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, end quote. So, the ascension. So when, he, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, quote, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will 
come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank you. Some of the most important lines in the New Testament is open before you. You want to know what your purpose is? You don't have to look much further. Remember, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, wrote this to his friend Theophilus. And he apparently had discipled Theophilus and uh, or at least had a relationship with him that was ongoing and he wrote him two volumes the gospel of luke as well as the book of acts and he said in the gospel of luke that he actually wrote to him because he wanted to uh help him to be sure he said i want you to uh be certain of the truth of everything that you have been taught he wanted theophilus to know that faith ain't like a a, a guessy game that you can actually know for certain the things that um, you have been taught. And I think it's uh, this week been impressed on me more. Just how grateful I am that God preserved his word like that for Theophilus. <laughs> because I'm a skeptic too. And I needed things to be proven to me as well. And so guess what he wrote first when he opened up the book of Acts. He presented himself alive for 40 days by many proofs. The resurrected Lord Jesus is walking around Jerusalem at that time, showing people himself. Put your hands right here, right? You can actually see that everything that I said, it was written that the son of man should suffer and die and then on the third day be raised again. And here I am with y'all having a fish fry. It, it really has happened. He's proving to the people. The New Testament shows us at least 10 times that that happened. Did y'all know that? He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to 11 disciples. He appeared to seven disciples. He appeared to 10 disciples. He appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to his brother James. Like he's over and over, over a period of 40 times. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared at one time to 500 people at the same time. See, our faith is not something that is just like we're guessing about it. Jesus is appearing to the people, proving to him, I mean to them, that he really is alive. And not only did he prove himself to be alive, verse number three told us that he came speaking. That he opened his mouth to proclaim something. The word that's there for speaking means to lay an argument to rest. Jesus was bringing arguments to rest that he wasn't the son of God. You can't be the Christ. You're not the one. He came speaking about himself in his resurrected body, showing and proving that he really was the Christ. And it's in his last words that we find what our purpose is. So what was he speaking? The thing is that we don't have to guess. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What is a kingdom? Kingdom is a territory over which a king rules. Very simply, right? And since we understand that God created all things and he reigns over all things, then God actually rules everywhere. Right. The extent of his kingdom is the whole world. 
And so when Jesus came speaking about the kingdom of God, one of the key things that he was teaching these Jewish people in Jerusalem under Roman political tyranny or tyranny, however you want to say that, is God has got a kingdom of the whole world. God's kingdom is much bigger than just right here in your little place. God's kingdom is global. He reigns and wherever he reigns, the kingdom is. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom is everywhere. And more specific to the idea that Jesus is speaking, this is all giving you systematic kind of understanding from the four gospels. He's teaching about the messianic kingdom. That not only does God reign everywhere, but he has a Christ, a Messiah, who he's actually going to give all authority. Now, did you guys hear what Jesus said one of those times when he was with his disciples there towards the end of his life? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Jesus wanted them to recognize that his kingdom was everywhere and that he was the one who would rule everywhere all through the nations and that the proof of that is that there will be an advancement of his kingdom in the hearts of people from everywhere. You guys are all following me with this, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we're still doing introduction to the book of Acts. It's the reason why I'm taking a little more time to really teach through this. A Messiah is not just the king. He's also the redeemer and the savior. See, the Christ, the anointed one, is not just like a judge <laughs> or a king. He's the one who actually rules over all things in forgiveness and in uh restoration reconciliation are you gonna say something i have a question yeah um regarding his kingdom because i've been like doing different studies and stuff and so when it talks about his kingdom is it are we his kingdom is that or is it more than just that it's a good question that's that a good question yeah it's a good question i i i actually think that some of the like what uh, we'll finish with is actually is an answer to that. It's good. I hope everyone's thinking that way. I'm just building up to say that all across the Gospels, whenever Jesus spoke about his kingdom, he spoke about it like the kingdom is at hand. Mm -hmm. He said the kingdom is in the midst of you. The kingdom is come near to you. So when he talked about this radical nearness of the kingdom, he was speaking of his rule and his authority, but also him as the redeemer. And he's saying that that is invading the world. It's breaking through into time and space. So he's talking about his rule and his reign across the entire globe that comes near to people through the good news about him. And now, as we saw, the spirit. Now, what did he mean when he said this? Let me read a couple things that just so that we don't assume anything. He's about to leave earth. Jesus goes and ascends after this. We just read about it, actually. And his disciples decided, well, I got one last question for you. <laughs> and what did they ask him? They said, Lord, in verse number six and seven, right? Uh, yeah, verse number six. Lord, will you at this time 
restored the kingdom to Israel. And what was Jesus's answer? He said, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has fixed in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples asked the question, hey, Lord, when, when are you going to set this kingdom back up? Is it going to happen now? And instead of answering that, he said, I'm not going to tell you when. Here's who, here's how, here's what, and here's where. You want to know when, but I'm going to tell you who, how, what, and where. Who? You. Y'all. You want to know if I'm going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem today. No, y'all are actually what it's all about. And what about y'all? Y'all are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. For what reason? To be my witnesses. And where? He named Jerusalem and he named the end of the earth. So Ventura, <laughs> at that time, he, he had, hey, look, Jesus had vision for Santa Barbara 2,000 years ago, yeah. right? <laughs> Here's three things that I think we should know about the kingdom. And maybe these are some of the answer, not exhaustive, but at least some, Amherst. Number one, the kingdom of God is not bound to a single location is something that we should know about the kingdom. This is hard for us to comprehend because we don't understand what it was like to be in the nation of Israel and to be underneath Roman government. So people who are not your government, foreigners have come in and kind of like taken over your land and that covers even over your religious practices. And so they're being oppressed in all these different ways from a corrupt government. And so they're asking, is it now that you're going to take back literally our nation from underneath this corruption. And he understood their question, but he showed them it's so much bigger than that, y'all. He says the kingdom of God trumps every earthly kingdom. But it does it through forgiveness, not through fighting. See, they would have wanted to overthrow the government. I mean, I got proof of that because Peter cut somebody's ear off four days ago, right? <laughs> Like right before Jesus went to the grave, he cut the man's ear off. But remember why Jesus was on trial in John chapter 18. He said this to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting right now. But they're not because my kingdom is not of this world. So the kingdom is not bound to a single location and it's not of this world. That's the second one. The kingdom of God is spiritual. Since it's not about a single location, then that means that the kingdom can't be just seen in one place like, oh, it's over there. It's in that one spot. And wherever the spirit transforms hearts, wherever the gospel is believed, wherever Jesus is praised as Lord and followed as the king of kings, his kingdom breaks into the world. So are we a part of the kingdom? Yes. Are we the totality of the kingdom? No. But we are agents in the kingdom. His spirit is what actually progresses the kingdom. What was the point to? His kingdom is spiritual. Not of this world. <laughs> Not of this world. That's good. That's good. Right? 
Think about it. Jesus is the king everywhere because he's got people who are indwelled by the spirit everywhere. The kingdom of God advances in the hearts and the lives of people who come under the reign and the rule of Jesus. Our leadership community had a meeting this afternoon, I guess, not morning. (laughs) And we just briefly looked at the book of Haggai. And one thing that stuck out to me just quickly was that they're talking about rebuilding the temple. And they actually did rebuild the temple at one time, which is now to this day torn down again, right? And what has happened since then is you became the temple of the living God. So God doesn't have, we don't have to go meet with him in a special place. The Holy Spirit fills people and we're called the temple. That's how the kingdom advances now. At that time, the kingdom of Judah, right? And it, like you need to build up the temple so that God can meet with you there. Now it happens in our hearts. It's spiritual. Here's the third thing that I wrote down. The kingdom of God comes through speaking. He say, you will be my witnesses. A witness is one who testifies for another. And those who the spirit empowers and indwells testify to the gospel. And we do that to the ends of the earth, right? And when we do that, we manifest the kingdom of God as we proclaim that Jesus is king. See, the kingdom of God being spiritual, not in one location, means that there are no boundaries. So that's the reason why when he turned to them and said, you guys want to know whether or not I'm going to do that now. But I have news for you. I actually want you to witness about me here and there and everywhere. And that's how the kingdom is going to be restored. He didn't. He didn't even tell him that it wasn't going to happen in Jerusalem. He said it's going to start there, but it don't stop there. Right. And he also said, it's not like you think it is. It's not that we're going to overthrow Caesar. And now I'm going to go be enthroned in this place. In fact, I'm out of here. He said all of this. And then a cloud took him away. Now, this takes faith to believe. But I hope that all of us believe in a resurrected, ascended Lord who is in heaven today and is coming back. Two thousand years later, we didn't see him. We weren't with him. But we got a whole lot of reason where we can definitely say that the faith is true. And so he sends us to go advance the kingdom through speaking. Let's keep in mind that during this period, all of the gospel writers said Jesus came and he said this to end his time with us. Mark said that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations which is um, what Jesus said. And then lastly, Luke said it this way. He summarized it in Luke chapter 24. He said, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be uh, proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48 in Luke 24 says, you are witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. If we want to know what the purpose of our church is, like 
our church capital C like us or our individual purpose or even our purpose as a small uh, little church. I think it's as simple as this. Your purpose, my purpose, our purpose is to witness to the gospel of the kingdom. Period. <laughs> Your purpose is to witness to the gospel. I mean, in, in so doing, we make disciples, right? We good news. We do what Mary has been praying for boldness and courage to do. We share the good news of the kingdom and we speak that to people. That begins in our families. And it spreads into our neighborhoods and it goes out to the nations. According to verse number eight, he said, I'm going to empower you so that you could be my witness in your hometown and then outside of your comfort zone. I want to have them send you out to the margins in Samaria where nobody wants to go and all the way to the ends of the earth. So Jesus basically said, without boundaries, you're going to be my witnesses, right? All the way to the end of the earth. That is what our purpose is. The kingdom of God, amorous, as you asked, it's manifest in our world as we, spirit-empowered Christians, manifest our purpose. As long as I'm walking in my purpose. Now, that's been co-opted. That language has been stolen. People start talking about walking in their purpose, and we think like, oh, man, what is this, prosperity gospel? According to the word of God, my purpose is to be a witness to the kingdom and a witness for Jesus with life and lips. I declare it and I demonstrate it, right? I preach it and I practice it. And when I do that, the kingdom of God is manifest even in our post-Christian world, our post-Christian community. The church makes the invisible kingdom visible as we proclaim the kingdom say that again the church makes the invisible kingdom visible mm. as we proclaim the kingdom and more people come under the rule and the reign of the lord jesus christ right take 30 seconds think about these things and let's discuss maybe something of clarity some place of challenge something that is convicting you or something that you would like to share with the group and discuss the church makes the invisible kingdom visible another question what do you think the greatest hindrance is to the progress of the kingdom in our community i asked the question just because if you think about where I started out and our re reaction to it, maybe not those of us in this room or maybe some of us in this room, who knows? Uh, but many, many Christians today believe that the answer to all that onslaught of post-Christianity in my community is that I need to go move somewhere where there are more people who think like me. Mm -hmm. And so many Christians are like leaving California quick, fast and in a hurry because of the problem of post-Christians. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 54% of people in Santa Barbara believe that I'm out of here is what's happening a lot. And I would say that I believe the biggest hindrance to the progress of the kingdom is not post-Christianity. It will be passive Christians. Because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, and I like the NLT, he said, from the time that John the Baptist began preaching, 
until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. That's what it means that the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This doesn't go against anything that y'all are saying. We're not teaching any works based, any of that here. It's great that you can testify to the need for the good news, the gospel, and to remember not to come out of a works based deal. But just when we talk about why we exist, our purpose is to be spirit empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. If Post-Christianity makes us think that we can't do anything here. So we need to go somewhere where everybody thinks like me and so on and so forth. I think we got it off. And so here, let me give us some good news. With God, nothing can stop the advancement of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Nothing will stop the progress of the worldwide movement of the gospel. We can have confidence in him and we can also uh, rest in the success of the kingdom because it all rests on the king himself. Here's why I say that from our text. Our series is called Unstoppable. I'm saying that in this text, I see our purpose is unstoppable. You know why? Because number one, Jesus resurrected and ascended. The resurrection and the ascension make all of our purpose unstoppable. The kingdom will advance. He defeated death. Death was our last foe. He actually defeated the grave and he ascended to heaven alive. So our purpose is unstoppable. Here's another reason our purpose is unstoppable. Because it's empowered by God himself. What we're not talking about here is being good Christians. What we're talking about is yielding to the fact that God indwells all who believe in him. We're talking about the, the it's a fixed fight. Like God actually gives us power and he says he makes us his witnesses. This ain't even about the fact that y'all need to go out witnessing. Right. <laughs> This ain't about going witnessing. This is about your identity as a Holy Spirit filled, empowered witness. See, the reason why we have confidence in the kingdom and its success is because it rests on the king. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus now empowers us. And here's the last one. Our purpose is unstoppable because Jesus is coming back. What did he say in verse number 11? He said, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him go. The resurrection, the ascension, the Holy Spirit and the return of Jesus Christ. Give me all the confidence in the world that post Christianity and atheism and this agenda, that agenda, all, whatever it is, it, it will not stop the progress of the gospel. But if I'm passive and I just say, hey, it's us four and no more, I'm in. You got your ticket to, right? Get out of free hell, get out of hell free card. You got your ticket to heaven. And we good to do this and we not good to go talk to our family, our friends, our neighborhood, our, our coworkers, our employees, our teachers, our student peers, whatever they are. Then, then what happens is we're saying we're content to just see people continue to go on in this new world when the reality is God wants us to continue to usher in his kingdom.